Hi, this is Ken Clark. I'm the minister of the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. Here's another recording of our worship service. These services will be posted weekly on our website and also as a podcast entitled A Walk to Cleo Hall, which can be found on Spotify and other podcast apps. This particular service is intended for June 7, 2020. The organist is Jean-Marie Callahan and the preacher is Ken Clark.
Please join me in saying the opening words which are found in the order of service. Sing to the Lord a new song. Let the joy of God's creation resound. God's spirit shows beauty and truth. Life renews by God's grace. Our opening hymn this day is Come Thou Almighty King. Join me, if you will, in saying together our opening prayer, which is found in the order of service. Lord, we come this day to become what you meant us to be. We come as we are, broken, afraid, full of disappointment at times. And we ask you to make us whole and set us free. We come as we are with all our plans and dreams, our joys, and our sorrows to be touched by your grace and held in your love. We come as we are, God, ready to begin anew, and we praise you, ask for your forgiveness, and make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. If we confess our faults, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen.
first lesson this morning, which is in the lectionary appointed as Trinity Sunday, is from the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, chapter 1, starting with verse 1 and proceeding into the second chapter to verse 4a. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, of every kind with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth 
of every kind and cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Here ends the first lesson. Our next hymn is Lord, Our Lord, Thy glorious name. second lesson is taken in the second letter to the Corinthians in the 13th chapter verses 
11 through 13, in which Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here ends the second lesson. We have in our readings today a great comparison between long and short. It's always an answer to the question of <clears throat> sometimes you can say great things in a very concise way and sometimes you can say a lot with a lot more words. Whether you do the same job or not depends upon who you're reading and what you're reading. We're reading the Bible this morning on this day, which is accounted to be Trinity Sunday. So the second Corinthians reading uh, is, is extremely appropriate. And also the first reading talking about the work of creation. This first reading, of course, is the longer reading, and it has a great poetic feel to it, the sense of repetition, the sense of majesty, and the length which in itself suggests, although people today would say seven days is a short time to create the earth, we're speaking metaphorically here, the length itself suggests that this took a long time. I'm not going to take the first chapter as a scientific account of creation, but rather I'm taking it as it was intended, an explanation of creation. And it's a wonderful one at that. I'm not going to go into the part that perhaps you heard this morning. And it's so appropriate uh, for this time of year, the beginning of June with all the nature here in New England about us springing forth when he talks about all the animals and all the things that are out and about. And when he talks about things swarming, I think we can all relate to that idea between bees and bugs and all the other glorious things of creation. They certainly are all about us. I'm not going to dwell this morning in this section either on the idea of dominion which the human person is given over creation. That is the subject of an entire sermon itself, but I will only stop to make the point that dominion means responsibility and rule. Responsibility and rule can be done wisely or it can be done foolishly. And so I'll leave that sermon for another day. What I do want to turn to is some bits of this part of the first chapter in Genesis and let you know that, of course, some, some of you may be saying to yourself, well, where's Adam and Eve? I, what happened here? I went to school all this time and here you're telling me God created and there's no Adam and Eve. That's not till chapter two. Then you'll go to chapter two and you'll see that the story seems to start all over again. It's kind of like a few of my sermons these past few weeks where you do something and then you think, Oh, I've got to redo this. Was chapter two a redo of the work of creation? It's very different. In chapter two, the work of creation is much more personal. God is creating two people and giving them a lot of instructions. God's talking about good and evil. 
God is putting Eve in a tough situation and seems to have these two as subordinates who must obey versus the idea of creation where the human person is almost godlike. As a matter of fact, God says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, etc., etc." He created humankind in his image, male and female, he created them. No secondary creation, no Adam's rib. The story is very different in the first chapter of Genesis. What explains this? Biblical scholars tell us that the Old Testament in particular was woven together as the New Testament from different strands and traditions. There are two particular strands in the Old Testament. One is what is called a priestly strand, and one which is called a Yahwist, referring to Yahweh, uh, J-A-W-E-H, Yahweh, the name for God in the Old Testament. There are two different ways of referring to God. The priestly strand refers to God as Elohim, and the Yahweh strand refers to God as Yahweh. So these are two different accounts out of two different perspectives, two different schools of thought that were knit together and cleverly knit together in the transition I began to read at the very end of our first reading this morning. They're knit together, and they make enough sense, I suppose. I think people back then understood that these are two different perspectives, and we should as well. I want to stay focused, however, after doing my best to confuse you, perhaps, on chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. I want to go back to chapter 1, to this wonderful view in which you now realize that God is referred to not as one, but as we. Is this the royal we? Is this a council of God enthroned with lesser gods that God is speaking to? These things are really unanswerable matters of conjecture, but God is in the plural in this particular instance. Now, the creation story, aside from its poetry and its majesty and the full wonder of all this, is a story of creation which brings order out of chaos. It begins, not so much, and scholars will debate this as well, not so much as creation from nothing, but it begins simply in the beginning when God created the heavens and earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep and a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. There is a sense here in which God is imposing upon this formlessness a sense of order. And one would argue from our perspective this June day, a sense of beauty, a sense of majesty. The creation story goes on to say how the light is created and light separates from darkness and how there is a dome in the midst of the waters to separate the waters from themselves. Interestingly enough, in translation, this comes into the term firmament, the firmament. When I was young, I always thought of the firmament because it had the word firm in it as being something underfoot. Now. Having done a lot of study, I realize that the firmament is really over my head. The firmament 
is the stuff above me. The firmament is that dome in which the stars and the sun and the moon appear. That is the firmament of heaven. Our own meeting house here in Bennington, there is an image of creation. Now, it wasn't simply our idea. Scholars say that the early priestly writers conceived the Jewish temple on the same order. It was to replicate, in some sense, a miniature scale of God's work in creation. And certainly you see, if you enter this church, you see that transition, and I would argue if you enter most churches, you see that transition from chaos to order, from tumult to peace. There is something about the appearance, the feeling, the prospect of a place of worship that is designed to make us feel calm and safe, designed to make us feel that life is ordered, and if not at least always comprehensible, at least in some sense going according to an unknown logic. So it is when you enter this church, what do you see? You see that great dome. You see, for one thing, you see pillars, things that hold up the earth and the sky and all of creation. And you see the big dome above us. Now, it goes back to the 1870s, I think, when Isaac Jennings, one of our historians and ministers of this church, used the image of the dome as the symbol of the world and the other elements of the roof of the old first church, indicating a cross and the world melded together. It's an old story. Because it's an old story, I guess I have to admit it's pretty true. I suspect that Jennings may have he either made it up himself or he got it from someone else who may have been here when the church was built. Perhaps uh, Jennings' father or someone who lived at that time who handed the tradition down. Maybe that's true. But I look at that dome and I don't see the world. I see the heavens. I see the beginning of the heavens. I see that point that God has created for us to look up at and wonder. The firmament and the dome, the ridge of the dome in early thought encompassed the far mountains where the sky met the horizon. And that, in effect, is what the dome does for us here in our own church. It is important, I think, to remember when we enter the church that it is not just what we bring but it's what the space itself gives us. It is, in effect, saying, here is the world. It is for you. It is ordered. It is peaceful. It is open to you to live in, to have dominion over. The creation story in the first chapter is a story of speech. God creates by speaking. Let there be, let there be, let there be, and it happens. In the second story, God creates by actually fashioning something. God is working in the soil like a potter making an item. The second way of appearing 
is not only the creation by speech, but there's also this idea later in the Bible of creation by struggle, which they call agon, creation through struggle or conflict. So these two strands run through the Old Testament, ways of creating, creating through speaking and creating through struggle. Now, in the second creation story as well, the story of Adam and Eve, we see that idea of good and evil not just sneaking in, but confronting us squarely. This is not a concern in the first creation story. The world is simply given, and humankind is given dominion over it. As I've said, this matter of dominion has a moral aspect to it. One can rule wisely, one can rule foolishly. Which brings us in a way, as we speak of good and evil, to a lot of the things that are still on our mind from the last couple weeks. And as I'm preparing this sermon in the middle of the week before Sunday, I don't know where we'll be on Sunday. I hope our society will be less torn by riot but I hope we'll still be focused on the serious issues that underlie all the protests. This idea of chaos and order is brought to us in the Old Testament, but it's something we remember today. It is our responsibility, not as gods, but our responsibility as humans to have dominion to create a society that is just and fair. Last week I spoke about how the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts and how it speaks to us through the voices of others. That's just as true this week. And I had that in mind last week when I was asking you to listen to the Spirit as it speaks, to listen to what's going around us in society. What of this is good and what of it is evil? There is such a thing, good and evil, We've seen it in the last few weeks. We've seen it long before that, and just to confine it to the immediate topic, not only in the case of George Floyd, but in the case of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, both of whom were killed earlier in this year. We've seen it in a society that has been locked down and a society where people have lost work. We've seen it in a generation of children graduating this year who have no certain futures. It's easy for me, number one, I'm an old white guy, but it's easy for me as someone who is old to say, well, I'll get through this. But what if I were young? What if I were 20? Black, white? male, female, whatever age? What if all things were being taken away from me suddenly? And what if society appeared to me to be so tainted and unjust that it would never look like I would ever get a chance, let alone have a job, even a job flipping burgers at this point? It's out of my reach. We have, as we move into the summer, created a large population who need our help, who need to be listened to and ministered to. A protest will do a lot, but it won't solve these problems. I'm not blaming a protest 
because it turns into violence, although violence is an image of the chaos that we all seek to avoid. But I do suggest that protests themselves are not effective unless they resolve into action. Protests are most effective when they are nonviolent and when they're able to speak to everybody in a society. Remember, as I started out this sermon, I talked about two modes of creation in the Bible, the one of speech and the one of struggle. Some people will say that the way of struggle is the only way. I'm on the side of speech for the most part. Speech at any time and at all costs. Struggle only if absolutely needed. Because struggle, I think, has great costs that tend to perpetuate themselves, violence begetting violence. Speech, however, is different. Speech is creative. Speech brings people together. But speech alone, even at the podium of a protest, is not enough. Speech must resolve into actions. And the actions need not be global or great. They need to be specific. What jobs can we find for people who are unemployed? What justice can we bring into our own police departments? The issue is fresh and alive in Bennington. We know it. How do we hold people accountable? How can we be sure that we can have faith in a system of justice? I think the best news I heard this week, believe it or not, was that the three other officers were finally charged with abetting murder. I don't take any joy in that, but I take some satisfaction in knowing that these three were charged because what we're saying is that you can't stand by. You can't stand by and watch someone be killed and not be responsible. In the sense of dominion and rule, You may feel you have certain loyalties, but your loyalty there is to speak out. You're a child of God, you're a friend of life. And when a human life is lost in that way, one doesn't stand by. Vermont is one of the few states that imposes an obligation to help on people in situations where something is going wrong, someone is injured. Most of the other states in our nation don't impose a duty of care on third parties. Now, the situation in Minneapolis was different, but I'm happy to see that that was extended. It'll be tried in court. I frankly don't know how the charges will come out. We've seen things before that have surprised us, but I'm hopeful that our system will resolve it. I'm hopeful that our system will give us a sense that we have a reliable and just order, that it's not just chaos, that people can be held accountable for their actions. That will move us to a better, I think, and safer society. I don't want to see things come apart and see a kind of chaos descend upon us. We used to think that that dome of heaven, that creation was indestructible. And then suddenly after World War II with the nuclear bomb, we got all worried. We thought, oh, we could actually destroy this world. We could destroy creation. 
and everyone got upset. What we forgot is that we already have the power to destroy this creation. And it's not a nuclear bomb. We have had this power in our hearts. It's the power of hate. It's the power of evil. It's been with us in certain degrees in every age, but we have always held it in check because we've known God's word and God's creation and God saw it was good. And the foundation of this world is a goodness. So when things happen, we can't stand by and be silent. We must act. And our actions need not be so grand that they will never be achieved. Our actions must be specific and direct. It may be as simple as talking to someone else who differs from you, coming to an understanding. It may be going down to the local town office or the state. It may be in a type of philanthropy. It may be in a greater cause. I'm not ranking them here, but I'm saying there has to be some ways that we can act because we are created to be responsible for this world. We do have the power to destroy it through a warfare that is not technological so much as it is heartfelt. If we lose that common sense of goodness and love that was at the heart of creation and was given to us to safeguard. And that is why the short words from Corinthians sum it up so well for us. For here, Paul speaks. Finally, brothers and sisters, put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This generation, this time, needs us full-hearted and ready to do difficult work, to be honest with ourselves and others, and to put hate down, to put categories down, to put any method of groupthink aside and approach our brothers and sisters individually with love, with order, with peace and safety. Amen. Our next hymn is O Lord of Every Shining Constellation.
welcome to the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. We're still in our period of worshiping outside the church itself, and thank you for keeping this up and being with us every week. I want to thank Jean Marie Callahan, our organist, who's here in the meeting house with me today, helping prepare this service for you. The morning offering for the work of the church will now be received. Give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen. Before we end our service today with our final prayers, I just want to note that Jean Marie has done so well in our prelude, which was the hymn to the moon, and the offertory, which was the earth carol, and fully drenched in St. Francis. So, uh, all good things and uh, much appreciated. I also should note that the first hymn, Come Thou Almighty King, some always read our little notes in the order of service, but I'm sure some of you listening uh, do not. And I should note on this first hymn that it was uh, found and associated with George Whitfield, who was an English 
clergy person who came here to America and instituted what came to be known here as the Great Awakening, a kind of a religious revival that swept uh, all the eastern seaboard, uh, particularly hitting Connecticut, western Massachusetts in such a way that it inspired some of the early settlers who would come to Bennington in their religious convictions. And so we can imagine that perhaps this hymn was one that was familiar to the early settlers in Bennington. With that, I ask you to join me in prayer. Dear God, be with us this day. We are so fortunate and blessed. We are truly fortunate and blessed. We are very truly fortunate and blessed to have this earth, this creation, to be under the dome of heaven, to be among other creatures, to have this earth and this time, to share joys and sorrows in community, to work together, to discern beauty, to hear music, to sing and to dance, to eat well, have a home and open our doors to others, to have family and friends. We are so blessed. Keep us, O oh Lord, mindful of these blessings and direct us outward in this world that we may see those things that make this place less than it should be, less than it could be. Let us look upon this life and see that which is good and work constantly against that tide of evil that sometimes rises. Oh Lord, you name so many things in the work of creation. And so let us name you with praise and name those things that mar this creation. Name them so that we might avoid, put to an end, these habits that seem never to leave us. We pray for all those this week who, has, who have lost their lives and in the weeks before. We pray for those who have been traumatized by violence, who have met loss. We pray for families whose people have been taken from them. We pray for those in all corners of the world who are in similar situations, deserving of our attention and our love and our action. Be with us as a spirit which moves us to act, moves us to be humble, but honest, 
moves us to be brave and courageous in facing what this world gives us. We pray for those who are ill this week, those suffering without income, without hope, those who seek help and recovery. Be with us all. Remind us that we are one human family, all your children, in any corner of this world. So now in silence, we make our prayer to you. We pray for our nation. We pray for all nations in our community and all who seek good. Amen. And as Jesus taught us, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn is, O Day of God, Draw Nigh.
now may God bless us and keep us. May God's face shine upon us and give us peace this day and evermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this day, and perhaps we'll see you next week. Permission to podcast and stream the service music is granted under license number 3009679 from CCLI, with all other creative rights reserved.